Hey everyone, welcome to our channel Heart Fork Life. I am Castro, I have Aura, my co-founder with me here. And today we're going to talk about something that has been on our mind when we also wanted to enter the world of blockchain and Web3. Um, so Aram, I have been, a, you can call it a traditional Web2 developer. I was a front-end developer. And when I wanted to come to the Web3 space, there was a lot of confusions for me. It was a lot of new things that I needed to learn. Um, and I really want to learn what does it make sense for people who want to jump into the Web3 space, what are the most important things that they need to learn? Um, but let's get some basics out of the way first. What is a Web3 developer? What does it mean exactly? Um, so it can mean a lot of things, but uh, the, the most important one is uh, basically the tools you use to basically deliver the, the goals you have. And most of the time, the mindset that you should have when developing um, smart contracts uh, and in a basically immutable ecosystem. Um, and it, it impacts the way you debug, it impacts the way you release, version, uh, test, all those things uh, will be affected by the nature of the blockchain, which is you write a code um, and if you deploy it as a contract, you cannot change it anymore. And uh, you're developing on an open uh, decentralized network that everybody can see your code. Um, everybody can copy if they want. And uh, like th those um, important differences uh, will make it, make it uh, to your daily um, activities as a developer. Um, so yeah, in, in general, I would say is um, um, how you think about your code and how you basically do the deployment, versioning, and all those things. Interesting. Yeah, I think this aspect of you create something and you cannot go and change it. Probably it was only for you know people who were working the hardware space. That was like you need to spend a lot of months, you know, prototyping, building something, make sure that. Um, it, it works so when you ship something to the customers, then you cannot go and change it back. You can have other versions in future, obviously, but what has been deployed is already there. And probably there's a lot of similarities between that and how, and we're going to go deep into it uh, later in, in our conversation, but it's the same with smart contracts as well. Like when something is deployed, then uh, especially if it's on a decentralized storage or something, then you cannot go and change it back. So. Yeah, it's a definitely a different mindset. So how would you uh, think about, so people in the traditional world, and I'm not sure if that's the real uh, correct way of thinking about it, but we have front-end developers because things need to look good on the internet that we use today. And we also have back-end developers. We have DevOps developers. Uh, is Web3 just an addition to it or does it have its own you know, spectrum of roles uh, or how, how would you think about like the different roles as a Web3 developer? Are you going to be only a smart contract developer or are there going to be like different types of roles? Yeah, I think, I think in, in real world right now, uh, smart contract developers are an addition to the team. Mm -hmm. There are still backend developers. There are still frontend developers. Um, smart contract de development is a bit glorified because of, you know, it's, oh, it's a new thing. Um, it's different. Um, 
you cannot find a lot of developers who do that. But if you want to have a like a full product, you need to have a front end. You need to have some sort of back end that gives you facility. And you need to have the smart contract development, which sometimes or most of the times is the core of that business. Uh, a simple example is Uniswap. Uh, Uniswap, they have uh, smart contracts, which usually is called a protocol because everybody can copy, everybody can uh, build it, everybody can interact with it uh, and deploy it. Um, so kind of is no, no one is the owner of that, uh, let's say, protocol, like email. Uh, SMTP, no, no one is owner of SMTP. Uh, but still, there are uh, backend helpers. For example, recently they have added a, a way to analyze high-risk wallets. That's that's an operation that is not an on-chain operation. It's not something that smart contracts do. It's they call it backend, like another SaaS product maybe, and uh, get a re- response and then deliver it to their front end. And the front end is, you know, doing some calculations and maybe talk to the back end and sometimes talk to the smart contract. Um, so it's more of an addition. And um, but the, the role it plays most of the time is the core in like Web3 uh, products. But sometimes it's not the core. Like sometimes your business or your product is, let's say, a ticketing mm, site. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're using blockchain as a way to um, basically prove ownership of something or make uh, make it trustless for the users, so that uh, you can prove to your users that you do you cannot change stuff uh, and uh, you don't have uh, the full power. But it's not the the core of your business. Your core of your business is you know selling tickets and smart contracts, and the blockchain is a way for you to achieve a goal there. And usually it's about trustlessness uh, and um, uh, more transparency sometimes. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, basically at this point is addition. That's very interesting. Probably uh, for a lot of businesses, if they want to tra- transition to Web3 or blockchain, then yeah, it's going to be an addition. And maybe backend developers, frontend developers need to have a new mindset or be able to use with like, some new concepts or tools, but it's basically the same roles. But for example, would you... Um, in in a project like I mean Uniswap, it's like the main functionality of it is working with the blockchain. That's basically the um, the main goal. Do you consider smart contracts is replacing the backend on in the traditional world? Is, is that more core uh, in, in your mind for that use case? That's, that's a really really good question. So um, in the real world, currently, um, it's not really replacing the backend. Uh, most of the time is a completely new thing that was never had like equivalent of a backend. Um, but uh, for example, in the case of Uniswap, um, they have uh, like, a, let's say a market making, automated market making uh, a capability, which didn't have an equivalent in the Web2 world. In the Web2 world, it was an order book model where it was like matching orders, two rows in a database. Uh, but in, in Uniswap, there's no database because it's impossible to have, uh, for example, on Ethereum. Uh, therefore, it's a completely new thing. Um, and um, most of the time, when the processing, you, you need a lot of processing power, uh, you cannot do it on the chain. So if it's possible, you do some stuff off-chain in, still in your servers and uh, end up with uh, like a value and then you commit that value to the blockchain. 
for trustlessness. So there is a bit of a tr- uh, like trust in you until you calculate some sort of variable or uh, of value. And then you put it on chain uh, as a way to say that uh, I cannot change it anymore. Uh, like that's it. So um, I-, I can say a lot of the actual use cases right now on, on the blockchain, um, they are completely novel um, we didn't have equivalent or it, w- it didn't make sense to have an equivalent in the Web2 world. For example, the, the model that, uh, let's say, Bitcoin or Ethereum, they are keeping track of, let's say, balances. It didn't make sense to create a Web2 backend that does that because nobody trusts that backend. Um, so I, I can say, for example, let's say a, a complicated system like, um, like a learning platform. Um, or let's say e-commerce that has a lot of calculations, tax calculations, and and sometimes it's a, um, if you want to simplify it, is a lot of if else if else for loops and everything. Um, and if you want to make it more robust, you will create a lot of let's say big data and uh, on top of it, and you know you have a lot of data you want to process and all those things. And they are not possible to be done in a smart contract. They will never be. Uh, and because most of the time it doesn't make sense for them to be run in a decentralized network because there's not much of a trust there like when you're calculating uh, um, you know some sort of uh, let's say AI processing you're processing the data you don't need to prove to anyone that you processed it right because at the end of the day your AI product your result that's what people care about not how you calculate it and did you calculate it based on what your researcher said. So, um, uh, yeah, in a lot of cases, we will have backends still. Uh, but if you want to compare, it's closer to a backend where um, there's a compute, a very limited compute. You send a request to it. Uh, it either gives you a response as a, like a read operation or it will change a state in the smart contract, uh, let's say, environment, um, state variables that, you know, give one point to this person um, and you you basically com- communicate with the smart contract through RPC nodes and the blockchain network. Um, so yeah, it's very similar to backend, but it wouldn't replace it. Well, very interesting. Now, I think that is a really good frame of mind, at least for me, when I'm thinking about these things. And uh, also, uh, as you mentioned, there are different types of you know project for example uh, for unisop it's really important that you know the smart contract should be verifiable for everyone so that's kind of the main value use case but for a lot of things i mean that's the debate that we can go maybe a bit later deeper into what which part of the application should become decentralized and which part should remain you know a closed loop because that makes sense people don't need to verify it because by nature decentralized these smart contracts are slower they're harder to change, so I think we should use them in the places that it makes sense. Um, but as a developer, when you come to blockchain, and that was definitely the case for me uh, when I started, you know, building um, in in Web three, there was a lot of different concepts. You know, I, I was I heard like EVM, I heard a gas a wallet, all these things. Um, so how important is it for a developer? to first learn all of these concepts and then start building, uh, or sh- sh- they can just get a bit of this knowledge and then you know move on. Like, What was it, the process for you, just going really deep into those concepts first, 
really understanding how blockchain works? Or is it mostly about, you know, building and, you know, breaking and getting your hands dirty with the code and then learning in the process? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, d definitely. Uh, it's it's uh, like usual. It's much better if you get started, do a Hello World example. Uh, there are a lot of tools out there, like, for example, Hardhat that makes it super easy for you to, um, you know, have a environment like a dev environment actually I, like i have a tab here we can uh, we can share um so if uh, for example uh, yeah you install hardhat and uh, it will give you a very simple environment that you write a solidity code you deploy that solidity code uh, either locally on a, like a copy of ethereum in your local machine or against a, a testnet of ethereum and uh, you can get going uh, with like a very simple uh, hello world in literally one day or less than a day. Uh, the, the tutorials and documentation usually are um, you know, enough for you to get, get started. Um, and for example, in, in the case of Hardhat, it just uses NPM, uh, JavaScript or TypeScript. And uh, you write your first contract, for example, here, you know, I want to create a token. This is the name of my token. I have a total supply. And then you just compile the, the contract and then, for example, deploy it to a, like a network. And uh, that, that network could be like Ethereum mainnet or a testnet. And when you do that, you can interact with your application. And for, for that, there still, um, I mean, a lot of things are, are being built. Uh, still not the b perfect, uh, let's say, uh, tooling there, but there are basic stuff you can start with. Um, and like the, the boilerplate that you can start with and basically a front end, for example, for your um, smart contract. Uh, so I would definitely suggest if uh, people basically start uh, uh, following tutorials and all, uh, the, the concepts, you need to know the concepts when you want to uh, go to production uh, because, for example, if you if you're writing a smart contract, uh, your smart contract might not be efficient in terms of gas. For example, if you have a loop here um, that is unbounded, uh, that is usually a bad practice uh, in the smart contracts because what it means is someone can um, either you know take advantage in terms of uh, like security issues or it might, at a certain point in time, it might be impossible for your users uh, to use it. So for those, you need to understand the concept of uh, the gas and what it means to optimize and uh, what is a block, um, how to treat time. For example, um, like blockchains have a very limited execution environment. In that environment, you don't have access to anywhere outside in the world. And things like time is uh, not accurate because you don't know which uh, miner is run running the code and what is the exact time there. So the way you should treat time is different. If you're just playing around, it's not important. You can just go and you know basically learn. Um, you hit issues, errors, you'll search and learn. But if you want to go to production, definitely you need to spend time on understanding those concepts. And there are a lot of uh, various places you can learn. Uh, but like forums, um, like development forums, for example, um, Open Zeppelin, uh, they have um, very good forums. They have um, basically smart contracts that people are 
already using in production. Um, it's good to use their smart contracts. It's good to use um, basically the conversation in their community. If you have a question, hey, like, how do I do this? Is, the, is this part of my contract? Does it make sense or I'm hitting this error? Um, so yeah, um, if you want to go to production, I would definitely suggest to uh, spend a bit of time here in these forums. I don't know, production readiness checklist uh, for your contract and all. Um, but yeah, for, for the start, you don't need to know all those concepts. You can just grab a contract here in Open Zeppelin, uh, for example, um, let's say their, their token. Like I want to create a token. You can just grab the ready-made uh, contracts, deploy your token, playing around with it, and you will start to learn the basics. That's very interesting, you no? Know, because you are bypassing some of the things that you need to learn. So, for example, you mentioned hard hat. Probably hard hat hides some complexity of the blockchain uh, for you. You still need to kind of understand them, but also for the open zeppelin contracts, if if you use the um, their base contracts, then probably you get some really good security and you are not going to make some mistakes. But uh, I exactly remember some of the issues like writing smart contracts and maybe we can start uh, talking about it because that's probably the most ambiguous like tech stack in the Web3 uh, space because for me, it was really different thinking about it and working with it. Um, for example, I remember I was writing the smart contracts and I, I needed to be careful about you know how I, I construct a, a function in the smart contract because apparently the order of the you know function was important the input of the function, um, so there was a lot of these things that you know uh, can make you a bit frustrated. For example, sometimes I wanted to deploy a contract but there was not enough gas, so I needed to remove some stuff. There was a lot of these things. So what is what is the mindset of a smart contract developer like? What are the most important things they should have in mind? For example, about the testing, about writing the actual smart contracts. Uh, like, uh, if do you, if you have any advice for uh, for that uh, uh, specific context? Um, yeah, definitely. So when you um, start writing, there are a few things that comes to you pretty immediately when when you're testing and trying to go to production. Uh, for example, the fact that the environment is limited is very, very limited in a sense that um, you don't have access to any external source. You cannot make an API call, for example. Or um, the fact that um, when you, when you uh, for example, have a function that is a privileged function, uh, you need to make sure that the sender is definitely you know, the wallet that should be the admin. And for example, if you forget that, even, even though it's just one simple if, if you forget that, you cannot change it anymore and someone can take over the contract. Or uh, like if you go deeper, for example, you cannot have, uh, I think it's like 16 variables in the local um, uh, like stack for, for Solidity because of the way it works. It's a limitation on Solidity, but still like, that's the main language right now in, in a lot of the smart contracts. So if you have a lot of variables and a lot of... Uh, uh, arguments in your function. I think if it reaches like 16, then you have to play around, create a different function, and then call it to make sure it, it works. Or for example, uh, when you are passing arrays and objects, uh, you have to decide. Uh, do you want to use call data? Do you want to use memory as a storage or, or a storage? 
like you have three options and every uh, single option has a meaning that it has a like a limitation to it for example storage means it will read from uh, like a storage on on the node and um, like for example if uh, if it's a variable that is already saved in the storage you can read it but if it's uh, something that you want to create uh, like within the contract, like as you write, that's going to be a bit expensive. And then you might want to use memory. And if you like, uh, if it's a, like an argument that is passed from the outside world, basically from the caller, uh, you can use, for example, call data. And what is, what is different? Why not always use memory, for example, because of the gas fees. And, you know, uh, sometimes it has a huge difference. Um, and when you're writing JavaScript, you don't even think about this stuff. Um, so basically, like that, that's, I think, one of those things when, you, when you're writing, you're like, oh, okay, so I have to think about, you know, how do I uh, assign um, basically the type or the storage mode for my variable? Um, and th there are a lot of different things, but I think these are the, the, the most important ones. Um, but as, as you write uh, and you hit issues, you will learn. That's why it needs you need to spend time into learning before you go to production. Because the code might work, but you don't know if it's like the best code in terms of you know gas fees and security. Yeah, probably the most important thing that you need to have in mind when writing smart contracts is that, for example, it's not like JavaScript engine that you have access to unlimited resources in some way. It's like it's limited in certain ways every interaction on the blockchain costs something so you also need to take that into account and solidity probably you can attest it to it more i think it has uh, improved a lot it's very similar to javascript it it's it feels right for example for me as a javascript developer also but it seems like it is still improving and evolving every day so it's still not finalized um so that's also another limitation. Um, there are a lot of good tools, as you mentioned, for example, Hardhat or Open Zeppelin. And we can also maybe go to some of other tools as well if we are talking about um, like also the front end aspect as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, these things are getting improved day by day. So as, as a developer that you are learning about these things, you have a really good chance of, you know, going really deep about some of these aspects, but you need to kind of realize that okay it is uh things are improving day by day um here so you need to have that um in mind um yeah. one of the things actually i, I just remembered uh in, another uh we can call it oddity when you're working with i think it's probably a special to solidity i'm not sure if other uh, like uh, wasm based uh, um you know blockchains or or like something like solana or cardano or like that but at least in uh, solidity um, every variable is initialized to a like a zero value. For example, all the numbers by default are zero. Uh, even if you have a, like a mapping, and then in, inside the mapping there's an array, then you know it has other properties and all. Everything is zero, so it's not like null or it's not undefined. It's zero, and sometimes that that can be confusing or problematic. That uh, I don't know. For example, tokens start from zero and then you think that, hey, I haven't configured a token for this specific thing, but by the way, by default is zero. And because of that, then token number zero is, I don't know, on sale, for example. So um, yeah, there are a lot of things like this. Um, 
but yeah as as you go and and play around um you will learn a lot of them uh but yeah before going to production we need yeah. to make sure like that's why audits are important you know someone who has already done all these stuff they know about these stuff they look through the code and say hey like by the way you know here um you know you're you're not considering this edge case that you know variables by default are zero and actually there was a uh, vulnerability and a hack uh, that because uh, bytes same by default are zero like zero x zero 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 um, and there was a bug uh, in one of the protocols I forgot the name but uh, basically the the verification uh, needed like a you know like let's say like a proof that is a byte value. And there was a code there that said, okay, if it's zero, just skip it. Don't don't verify. And a hacker could find a way to temporarily make it, uh, you know, point to somewhere which is, you know, zero. And um, and they didn't basically initialize for that a specific uh, edge case. Uh, the variable was not initialized in that specific edge case. Because of that, the developer could skip a verification and basically steal a lot of funds. Uh, but if if it was null or undefined and the, the the program was basically failing because it was null or undefined, this wouldn't happen. But uh, yeah, th these are the things that uh, will be important. Yeah, this is so interesting because um, in the like web two type of development, you make all these mistakes all the time. I mean, that's part mm -hmm. of the break things much easier. Um, it. To be honest, it feels a bit scary that a simple mistake can cause so much problem. But that's also the point of, you know, putting something out there and this can live forever, basically, like a hyperstructure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is uh, kind of the pros and cons of this. So you, you just need to be more careful. And maybe one way that people can, uh, especially if, if you're new, I mean, if you're a good developer and you're learning these things, then there's definitely some things that, you know, even if you're about 10 year or 15 year experience of development, there are some of these things that you kind of need to be aware of. And maybe uh, one of the best ways to do that is to, I don't know, maybe the open Zeppelin contracts that you mentioned, read through them and really understand, for example, why that has been used. Or in some of the um, applications I have seen, they, well, some of the audits I have seen, they're not really high quality, to be honest, but I'm sure there are audits out there that are high quality and you can read through them and understand, for example, why that is an issue or why that can be improved. So that can be a good source for folks to, you know, learn and more about the, the best practices of doing things. But yeah, you kind of need to get your hands dirty also and really understand why something uh, is wrong or right. So yeah, that's one. Yeah. This is a, this is definitely one of the best examples of that. So this contract was an NFT contract that raised uh, back then was like 30 million. Uh, now the Ether price is lower, it's 15 million. And this, this money is there and is locked. Nobody can take it out anymore. Uh, and if you want to see what was the reason, it is really, really, uh, I mean, both funny and sad. It's literally, instead of plus one, it must have been plus something that length. And uh, like, if you go through the code, um, there was something in uh, when they were basically calculating uh, how many, um, let's say, NFTs should be returned, something like that, like in their process refunds. 
I think it was, uh, uh, I think it was probably this one, uh, something like this. That instead of plus plus, it should have been plus, you know, something that length, uh, not just plus by one. And because of that simple error, a, a bunch of things, uh, you know, went hand in hand, and they couldn't even emergency withdraw. Why? Because they, there is a condition here that says. Um, you know, bits place must be more than zero and the final process must be equal to zero. And these conditions are not met at all. Why? Because of something that was missed, uh, you know, and basically everything, all, all the funds are stuck forever. Um, and when you write this condition here, that means even you as a owner cannot do withdraw. Uh, basically, you're stuck. And um, I, I think this is the most significant difference compared to, let's say, back-end development or front-end development, because even if you do mistakes, uh, you can quickly revert it, you can go to the database and change it, or you know, you can somehow, uh, maybe unless it's a financial, um, I don't know, transaction that is already settled, but even then you might be able to get to the bank and say, hey, like this transaction had like two, three zeros, wrong can you please you know do something about it it is possible uh, to do something about it but in here no for a thousand years this is going to be 15 million that is locked and nobody can touch it anymore why because of a plus one um so yeah th this this is uh yeah now one of the most important aspects of the, the development yeah absolutely it's a double uh edged sword it um it can work and it cannot work at the same time i think i have seen and i didn't go deep into it there was a discussion about um a revertible smart contract function calls which i'm okay what's the point but probably um the way it works is that it um when a smart contract function call needs to be reverted in a way it gets up to for a vote among some people. And then if they vote, it can be reverted, something like that. I'm not sure exactly how it can be done or uh, what are the, you know, benefits and, you know, disadvantages of that. Uh, some people are thinking about these things, um, but yeah, I mean, by nature, you need to understand, okay, this is smart, this is the way things are. And uh, you, you just need to be more careful. So for yeah, example- Yeah, yeah, go on, sorry. Uh, so like, for example, if it's just like one month that you take time to write something, then you can, I don't know, put two months and you make sure that you cover all these edge cases, but yeah. Mm -hmm, definitely, yeah, that's that's why, for example, uh, like we uh, we use, uh, for example, Hard Hat Deploy is one of the plugins in Hard Hat that helps you uh, deploy your stuff in multiple chains and keep track of everything. Uh, we use that to deploy to testnet and then run tests against that testnet like in real life. And um, uh, you, you will write basically tests in, um, um, like, th they have multiple tools like uh, Waffle integration, Truffle integration for, for testing, but really simple, like, chai test cases that you run against your node. Uh, for example, there is a, yeah, we have a scaffold here that, uh, very simple, you run a test, hey, call this a smart contract function and expect to return this value. And basically, you can mimic that, hey, like I'm sending this transaction, I'm waiting for the transaction to finish, and then I will check again, and now the variable should be different. Mm -hmm. um, so for, for example, for testing, there are uh, tools that are helping you 
not just doing an isolated environment, which is your, let's say, your own uh, node, but fork Ethereum, real Ethereum data, real Ethereum contracts, and run your tests against the real Uniswap in a, in a test fork. Uh, that, that tool is Tenderly, uh, which basically helps you with these stuff. Uh, they have a, like a simulator uh, system that you can simulate transactions on the real blockchain, or you can create forks. Um, no, I think yeah, I think it's here. You can create a fork, for example, of uh, Ethereum, and then simulate and and become the owner of Uniswap mm-hmm. on on mainnet. Become the owner of any contract on mainnet and try to run your code against that real Uniswap uh, uh, clone. Um, so th- these tools will be super helpful and the, the test cases will be super helpful to cover the edge cases. And as we know, we should always start from the edges, like forget about the happy path. Happy path, everybody will tell you if it's not working, but the edge cases and unhappy path um, and like, what if it's zero? What if it's uh, um, like the biggest number in UN, um, UN256? What is, if, if that's the number, what happens if you plus one there? You know, like all these edge cases, um, you will run tests against a real, for example, Uniswap. If, if your protocol is talking to Uniswap or your own protocol with some other protocol um, and basically cover them. Um, so, yeah, th- these are the tools you should be using before you go live. Like this, this contract that I mentioned, uh, clearly it was not tested for the scenario that happened. Because if it was you know, that that test case would fail. Um, so that's why, like, for example, having coverage in Hard Hat, there is a tool for coverage uh, that you will use. is a very similar to like JavaScript coverage that doesn't cover everything, but it at least covers some some parts that do you have like good enough coverage. And uh, we know like 100% coverage is, is the minimum that you should have because then you just started, you know, testing. You're, you've covered all the paths now you have to it's 100 percent. now you have to think about the, the different edge cases so um this is even more real here in in, mm-hmm. in the blockchain because in the web 2 world okay you go fast you're a startup you don't care uh, but in here you cannot really do that unless you know that hey like this this contract will not have any financial value it's a bunch of i don't know some information that even if it's broken or lost is not important which is not usually the case um, but yeah here is different needs to be fully tested um, i think i think that's the most important let's say challenge of a web3 development is testing uh, and I'm really happy about like Tenderly and what they have created with the fork because you can test against the real network, not just in your local isolated node. Um, so yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's just that's probably the biggest thing that you know you need to make sure that it works in production every time. Um, and uh, yeah, in the web two world, there's always you can send a patch or something. Um, to be honest, I think there is no excuse for people not to have at least that level of you know you need to look at your contract the way a hacker is going to look at it because the hacker is going to look at different ways of you know and especially if it's like there is main financial incentives in the contract sometimes you know you have some secondary things okay that still needs to be tested um i actually have heard something from vitalik when he was talking about uh you know testing the merge on the testness like there's 
some weird settings on the test nets that actually cause more problems in the mainnet. So the testing tooling, I think, also should get improved for a lot of these dApps and applications that we write. We are there almost, but actually not there. So we, we need to work with the best things that we have in our hands at, at the moment. Um, but yeah, um, there's no excuse of not writing smart contract tests. And I think we had that for one of the contracts we wrote. Um, we had uh, some sort of a reservation in the smart contracts. We need to make sure that it's allocated the numbers in the correct way. So um, yeah, I think we wrote you know, 16, 20, 25 different scenarios from especially really edge cases, because as you said, the happy path never, uh, never happens. Um, so um, that's really important. But when, if you want to put kind of the smart contract aspect of things aside, there are a lot of, you know, backend developers or front-end developers who, for example, etiquetting company wants to enter blockchain, enter Web3 space, and they want to next to issuing, for example, ticket in the traditional way, they want to explore issuing tickets on the blockchain as well. So let's start with the front-end developers. It's very interesting in the Web3 ecosystem, I think probably 90% of the projects I see, and we call them dApps, dApps are decentralized applications. They're mostly built using React. So it's kind of, we are using the main thing that we were using before, like React is really JavaScript heavy, uh, but I'm pretty sure there are some differences. For example, the way we authenticate users or the way we fetch some data from, it's not the API, it was from the blockchain itself. What is the framework for front-end developers? Uh, what should have their in mind when they are, we just want to explore uh, Web3 as a front-end developer? Um, yeah, definitely. I actually have a um, photo here. It's a, like a Web3 stack uh, done by Alchemy blog. Uh, it's really nice and helpful. Basically, basically summarizes uh, you know, the different layers. Um, so um, from a high level, um, like we have these networks, which is Ethereum and all the non-EVM stuff. Uh, we have some sort of, you know, accessing uh, the, the data, interacting with the data, um, which is like, for example, Etherscan is an interface on top of it and a bunch of APIs. Um, and then we have the presentation layer, uh, I don't know, like hard hat, let's say, or Etherscan.js library. And then we have our DAP. Um, so let's start from here again and go back of what, what it means. Um, so imagine that you're building Uniswap or you're building, uh, let's say, ENS or even a wallet like MetaMask or let's say OpenSea, which is an NFT marketplace. For all, all of these cases, you're going to talk to um, using a tool, which is, for example, in this case, library like Ethers.js. It's a library. You use that library to take advantage and send messages to an RPC node which is a, like a backend database, backend service, RPC node, and that RPC node will send your transaction to the network, to the blockchain network. So these are the three pieces that, as a React developer front end, when you're sending a message, for example, or sending a transaction, this is where it goes. You use a library like Ether.js, 
to create a transaction for you. And in many of the cases, that transaction will be sent to the user to sign it using their wallet, like using their MetaMask wallet. When it's signed, that signed transaction goes through an RPC node. Alchemy provides RPC node. Um, Infura provides RPC node. And an RPC node is it's just a relayer of, of your message. It receives your message and sends it to the Ethereum network. It cannot change your message. It cannot do anything. The most it can do is to censor. The most it can do is to censor and not send your message. Uh, but it cannot change it. And it will send it to the Ethereum network, and that's it. You, you send your transaction. Um, on the other side of things, when you want to read uh, from the blockchain, again, it's the same kind of uh, steps, but for example, um, like services like uh, Morales or Alchemy uh, themselves, um, what they do is they um, scan the blockchain network, index all the data into like some sort of NFT API, um, some sort of uh, easy to access Web2 you know, database or big data, data lake, whatever and give you an API, like an easy web to API for your React app to read that data. So both read and write goes through these layers. Um, and um, that's basically how, how you communicate. Then we have authentication, which is another piece that is different than authentication in web two, in a sense that uh, you're not gonna send the user to like a backend to test their identity, it's just, you send a message to their wallet and uh, they will have to sign that message in their wallet and it's using their private key. When they do, um, they give you back the signed uh, data and you as a React developer in your dApp, you will check, hey, th is this signature correct? Uh, is this signature, can I, like there is a function, you give the signature to the function, it gives you the wallet address of the user. And you will check if it's equal to the wallet that you expect, then it means the signature was correct. Um, and that's how you kind of know that this person who gave you the signature is actually truly the owner of this wallet address. Why? Because they signed it using their private key and then they give the message, you checked it was correct. That's how you do, let's say, Web3 native authentication. Um, so read-write authentication, these, these three aspects are uh, this way different. In all these three, your backend is not involved. Some backend like, a, you know, Infura backend, which is the RPC, is involved. Um, but yeah, sometimes you could be the, the one that, you know, you use your own backend RPC, but usually it doesn't make sense to have your RPC node. You can just, you know, rent a service from Infura or Alchemy unless you're worried that, hey, I don't want to rely on a centralized you know, company for that. I want to have my own RPC node and talk to Ethereum directly. Then you can have your own, let's say, backend that talks to the blockchain. Um, so yeah, that's the flow of uh, yeah, reading, writing, and authentication. That's, that's super interesting. As you said, like people have the option, like if a company or something needs access, then they have that option to you know, work with the chain directly themselves um, but yeah some of the tools that you mentioned i have used them probably as a library the javascript library so i don't know even like what's behind them but they're really developer friendly for a front-end developer actually i use etherjs i think in, in in the project so it's interesting to see like what's going on behind the scenes um 
uh, of that. Yeah, very, very interesting. For that, uh, actually, uh, there is a library called Vagme. Um, there's a React hook um, library that I really suggest uh, is using Ethers behind the scenes, uh, Ethers JS library behind the scenes, but it allows you to basically connect the user wallet, send transactions, and uh, really simple and intuitive. Uh, I, I really suggest uh, to use this library, for example, getting a balance of an account or, um, for example, sending, reading data from a smart contract or writing to the smart contract. Um, so yeah, Wagme is a really um, good tool for basically abstracting those, those kind of uh, read and write operations. Yeah, that, that was the right word that user abstraction, because I mean, I can imagine working directly with blockchain, there's going to be a lot of complexities and there's a lot of things. So we need the right level of abstraction that provides you the tools to be more effective and move faster but still doesn't compromise, you know, the decentralized aspect or um, like the ease of use and all those. So for example, Vagme is a really good option. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend folks to check these links out. For the ones who are listening to this uh, in, a, in a podcast, I'm going to drop all the links for there for you so you can check all these things out. And I have a much better understanding right now about the things that uh, the developer needs to learn or due to, you know, start experimenting. Let's start building and see what happens. Um, but do you have like some resources for uh, for guys to just, if, if they want to get inspired or if they want to learn about, you know, what, what are the newest thing that is happening in the world of Web3? Uh, what are some of those resources or places they can, you know, learn uh, from? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I think uh, you, you can say, at least in the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, everything starts from e uh, Ethereum Magicians Forum, which people discuss all different ideas uh, in terms of standards, in terms of how uh, people can use blockchain, uh, what are the um, applications to be built. For example, Uniswap core idea, which is an autom automated market maker, which is a simple uh, mathematic formula that allows creating an exchange on a limited environment like uh, blockchain. That was originally discussed here by Vitalik and people, you know, got inspired, started playing around and created uh, like Uniswap basically from, uh, from here. Uh, so a lot of discussions here, definitely uh, high quality conversations, discussions, definitely you can learn a lot here. Um, and then when people end up, you know, with some sort of agreements, they'll create all these EIPs, which are simple documents that explains, hey, if anyone wants to create a token, this is the way that we think is good that everyone follows. They become a standard. Like you need to have this function, you need to have that function, for example, to, to have a token. Uh, that is ERC20, like a token standard, for example. Uh, so like EIPs are, are really good basically to read because they are the source of truth for a lot of these things. Uh, what does it mean to create a, like a like manage ownership of your contract, for example? Um, we have yeah, Open Zeppelin we discuss Open Zeppelin contracts. They are uh, audited. They've been in production uh, and they cover a lot of the standards as well, like a token standard, NFT, governance, um, some of the, I don't know, like financial, like payment splitting or vesting. Uh, so this is also really good to use. And their forum, uh, Open Zeppelin forum, 
Um, and we also have uh, some kind of favorite podcasts. Like Bankless is a good podcast for like general knowledge, what's happening in the space. Sometimes they, they talk to, uh, you know, thought leaders in the space, uh, talking about, I don't know, for example, Ethereum merge, covering it. It's really good to learn uh, what's going on. If you want to get a bit technical, Epicenter has a lot of good episodes that are super technical, talking about DeFi, talking about the uh, differences between the blockchains, like uh, what does it mean, uh, proof of stake, um, what is the you know, difference to other models, and uh, um, basically more, more technical knowledge. And also zero knowledge. I think that's a good uh, podcast if you are interested in zero knowledge technology. Uh, which is like a privacy, um, a privacy uh, focused kind of effort. Um, that is, uh, yeah, it, it has a lot of a lot of potential. So, like these these podcasts uh, are also good uh, for folks to to uh, tune into. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think um, uh, that covers uh, everything in terms of resources. Awesome. Yeah, I think you started with kind of the higher level stuff, what you need to know about the space. Uh, uh, what, what are the ways that you can get started? What are the ways, you know, how smart contracts, how blockchain is different than the traditional world? So you just need to come to this space a bit like prepared uh, mentally. And also like some of these tools that, you know, can just uh, accelerate your growth and, you know, your progress when you're working with these tools. Um, so, yeah, this has been great. I think this is a good ending point for this episode um really appreciate it aram and yeah I, I hope you guys also got a lot of value from this episode and we're going to be back with more in-depth videos about uh and also it's going to be a podcast as well so um i hope you guys are going to enjoy our content in future as well perfect See you guys. yeah thank you